Kiki, good to have you. Well, again, welcome, welcome. I want to welcome all of you to our center this morning. Uh, if it is your first time here, I want to especially welcome you. We honor all paths to God. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. We have a visitor's package you can pick up on your way out. It's on the glass table as you come through the double doors. Just has a little information about us, who we are, our beliefs. There's a CD in there of our basic beliefs, the science of mind magazine, and a few other things. But please, please do stay afterwards so we can get to know you a little bit better. We'd love to get to say hello to you and to know your name. So glad that you're here. Glad that you're here. So Reverend Megan did a wonderful job of introducing the season of nonviolence. It's a wonderful time for us to step into this whole idea of nonviolence. You know, what is it that we stand for? You know, as religious scientists, we often say that we stand for peace, right? We stand for peace. When they say, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? But what one of the big movements has been through this uh, Rune Gandhi and uh, season of nonviolence is taking a look at some of the words that we use around peace and war and, and other things. And, and we, you know, we have a Department of War. And one of the big movements has been to change it to the Department of Peace. The Department of Peace. Doesn't that just sound so much better? <laughs> that we have this department that comes together to work for peace. That work for peace. And it's just a flip, you know. It's an interesting thing that came across the internet this week. And it's sort of that idea of just shifting perception a little bit. It said, if an egg gets cracked from the inside, it's birth. If it gets cracked from the outside, it's death. You know, just a little shift in our perception, just a little shift in our perception. So we stand for peace. We stand for peace. And each week we'll bring you some good news, and it's fun because good news creates more good news. That's for darn sure. So we are in our last week of, of January already, which is crazy hard to believe. We've already have one month almost complete of this new year. And for January, many centers for spiritual living, us included, go back and look at the basic beliefs of the science of mind. So we're back to basics this month, and we're on the final week, which is how to use it, how to use it. So it's the first 35 pages of the textbook, The Science of Mind, that was written by Ernest Holmes, our founder. And uh, it's really not even four chapters. It's the introduction. That's Roman numeral one, two, three, and four. So we've done Roman numeral one, two, and three, and I'm going to try to just overview that as we move into the fourth. So it starts out with the thing itself. The thing itself was the thing we talked about at the very beginning of the year. And the thing itself that Ernest is talking about is source, is spirit, is divine intelligence, is creative intelligence, it's God, it's spirit, whatever name you want to call it. That is the thing that he's talking about. That unformed substance from which we live and breathe and have our being, that we're immersed in it, just like we're immersed in the air. Right? And then the second part of it is, and I always get these two mixed up, the second one is the way it works. The way it works and the way that it works is it works through us. Spirit needs us. Spirit needs us to move that energy through him out into the world, through it out into the world. God can only do for us what God can do through us, that whole idea. And then the third chapter is, or the third introduction is what it does. And this is what we got into last week, more into the law and how the law works. And that our thought is creative. And our thought is creative by impressing into this unformed substance that which we are thinking. That's what we're thinking over and over again. Now, luckily, the thing that we think one time doesn't manifest. Thank goodness, because I've had some thoughts that if they manifested would not be good, right? But it's what we think over and over again, what we sort of are in the habit of thinking, right? Even if we don't really know that we're thinking that on a subconscious level. 
that is what it's, we are creating, whatever we are impressing into this unformed substance. You know, uh, I, the minister that did the outline for last week, she talked about it being like jello, jello that we pour into a mold. And the more that we keep thinking that same thought, the mold sort of hardens and takes form. So we, we live in this unformed substance, and our thought is creative. And, that's, and so now we're going to move into this, okay, so what does all that mean? What does all that mean? How do we use this in our life? How do we use this in our life? And uh, so how it works is the chapter we're looking at. And really what we're talking about is how do I have a demonstration? How do I, have, how do I know that this thing works? This is a lot of really great theory, but how do we know that it's real? How do we know that it's true? How do we know it's not just something you're all talking about that is a good idea? But does it really work? And Ernest says this in the chapter. He writes, One of the difficulties in the new order of thought is that we are likely to indulge in too much theory and too little practice. As a matter of fact, we only know as much as we can prove by actual demonstration. That which we cannot prove may or may not be true. But that which we can prove certainly must be and is the truth. You know? And I believe as a minister, for me anyway, that this is my job. My job is to demonstrate these principles in my life. My job is to be a walking example of the principles of science of mind. My job is to have demonstrations in my own life, to have things show up in my own life so I can say to you 100% that I believe what it is that I'm talking about. I feel that it would be absolutely wrong for me to stand up here and to tell you something that I had not experienced myself. Now, have I had the miraculous healings that some of our practitioners have had or some of that our clients have had or some of our ministers are have? I haven't been cured of cancer. I haven't experienced cancer. You know, I haven't been cured of a, a health thing. Uh, I haven't had one, a traumatic health incident, you know? But I have had some wonderful demonstrations as far as relationships go, as far as wealth goes, as far as uh, a career goes. I've had some wonderful things happen in my life. And... Uh, you know, I have a covenant, and um, many of us have were participated, some of us participated in creating the covenant for our center. And one of the things that, you, that we know when we do this covenant, the way that it's set up is that you create a, a quote, or you find a quote in the Bible, or you find a spiritual quote, or you find a religious quote that goes with your covenant. And ours here for the center is, let us seek wholeness above all else. That's, that's the quote that we came up with, and that's Ernest Holmes' quote. Mine, for my personal covenant, my personal ministry is, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. John 18, 37. You know, and I truly believe that's what I was born for. I was born to testify to these truths. And so what I have to do is I have to continue to study, and I have to continue to do my own spiritual practice, and I have to continue to read, and I have to continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper so I can be that presence that I want to be in the world. And I would love to tell you that I do it really good. And, you know, some days I do it really good. You know, I've had a couple weeks here recently that have been tough tough. I had a death in the family. My daughter's going through some stuff. I have a friend who's drying, uh, dying of a drug addiction. You know, there's stuff that's going on in the world that really isn't what I signed up for. And it's to me not demonstrating what I know to be the truth, what I know to be the truth of each one of those situations. So I continue to do my work. I continue to practice. 
I come from a San Diego church, Center for Spiritual Living, Seaside, and I was there for 15 years before I came up here. Now I can say over three years ago, or I'm in my third year here. Um, and my minister was Dr. Christian Sorensen, you know, and he tells a story that I think is a wonderful demonstration of what we're talking about. There was a time when, um, well, we know 2008, all the financial stuff in the world changed and shifted, and it became very difficult for churches to get loan. It's hard for a church to get a loan anyway to begin with. And at Seaside, we had a first and a second. We had two mortgages, and it was really, really expensive. And there was a thing that was being offered at that time where you could get stocks and bonds, and they would back up your mortgage, and it was this whole thing, and I can't remember all the particulars of it, but a few of our centers had done it, and we had heard about it, so we were trying to do it. It was a very big deal for our executive director, the financial stuff she had to go through, and all the stuff she had to do. Well, it came down to the very end. We needed $25,000 for the closing costs. We didn't have $25,000. We didn't have $25,000. And Dr. Christian hardly ever did this, but this Sunday he stood up in front of everybody and he said at Sunday service, we need $25,000 to close this deal, to merge our two loans into one, to make it more affordable, that we can afford our mortgage and that we can stay here. Well, what happened is they did a receiving line at Seaside, and the minister and the pulpit assistant and the practitioner were all standing in line as people went out. They shook the minister's hand, and, and, and as the people left that Sunday, they started just putting checks in Dr. Christian's po po pocket, his pants pocket, handing him checks. And Dr. Uh, Reverend Catherine Economo, who some of you met, she was here. She was standing next to him, and she was, like, amazed at all this money that was just pouring in. And they went to his office afterwards, and she said to him, okay, let me see, how much did you collect? And he pulled the checks out of his pocket, and they added them all up, and it was $30,000. And uh, Reverend Catherine said to Dr. Christian, she said, how do you do it? And his answer was, I know God. I know God. And that's the kind of belief I'm asking you to have. To have that unwavering belief in the power and the presence to know that it can demonstrate to your life in any way that you need it to. It is done unto us as we believe. It is done unto us as we believe. We say that often. We say that often. Ernest in today's uh, chapter writes, it is an e It's easy enough to rush around shouting that there are no sick people, but this will never heal anyone who appears to be sick. It is easy to proclaim that there are no needy, Anyone can say that, whether he be wise or otherwise. If we are to prove such statements to be facts in our experience, we shall be compelled to do more than announce a principle, no matter how true it may be. Because isn't that fun when you're going through something and somebody says, well, what were you thinking that created that? You know, you want to slap them, right? No. 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 What do we need to do in order to create the life that we want to create? I think it would be spiritual malpractice for me to stand here each Sunday and tell you and teach you about these principles, having never once really experienced one. 
I've had many demonstrations, as I said, and our practitioners have had many demonstrations. In fact, it used to be, and it's not so much, but maybe we'll bring it back. When the practitioner renews her license every two years, she's asked to meet with her senior minister, he or she, to meet with their senior minister, and they must bring some demonstrations that they had to that meeting. They must share with their senior minister what it is that they've had that has happened for a client. It's all done anonymously, of course, you know, in confidence. They don't share names, but they may say, I had a client who was healed of a kidney disease. I had a client who had a reversal of their fortune, who's now uh, living a life. I have a client who's met the love of their life and they're married. You know, it could be all these things that they have had actual demonstrations for because we don't want to just live in the theory. We want to live in the realness of it all. There was a young man, Charles Dickens, I think it was his name, not the Charles Dickens, another Charles Dickens, and he was also a writer and a gardener, he says. I was a writer and a gardener. And he tells a story of being a young boy. He was in the third grade, and one day his math teacher in the third grade decided they could have an open discussion. The class could talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. And so the kids decided, and it kind of got around to talking about God which I don't know if that could happen nowadays in our schools, but the kids decided they were going to talk about God. And the teacher ended up taking a tally of how many believed in God and how many didn't. Right? And Charles, he said, was one of the few that didn't believe in God. He said, in fact, he never really had given it too much uh, thought. He was in the third grade, you know. He hadn't given it that much thought. And uh, he came home from school that day and had forgot kind of all about it. And his mother asked him to go to the store and buy a bottle of Kool-Aid. Now, I had to look this up because I'm thinking it's not true because they never sold bottles of Kool-Aid. But you know what they did? They did up until the end of the 1950s. Kool-Aid came in a bottle. It was sparkling. I'm just remembering in the little bag, right, that you add water to. So he had to go by a bottle of Kool-Aid, and it was about a half a mile to the market. And uh, he walked there, and as he was walking home, he started to remember this thing that they had talked about in math class. And he said, okay, God, if you really are, you could prove yourself to me right now by me finding some money on the way home. So he took a little step, and the very first step, he found 50 cents. And the next step, he found another 50 cents. And then as he was walking, he found another 50 cents. And by this time, he'd forgotten all about the agreement that he had with God. He was just collecting the, all the money that he found along the way home. You know, but then it dawned on him that the deal that he had said, and he became terrified, scared, and he ran home as fast as he could. Right? He was afraid of what was going to happen. And he said it took him a little while to, com to compose himself and to get to a place where he could tell his mom what had happened. And his mother told him, you know what, it was probably just somebody that had a hole in their pocket and it was just a coincidence. Right? How many times have we blown off God saying, oh, it was just a coincidence. Some amazing thing happens, oh, it was just a coincidence. But he says to this day, that spirit and that connection with source is the most important thing to him. To him. That he came to believe that day. That there was something greater than him going on in this world. So the truth is, really, everything is a demonstration, right? Everything's a demonstration. The law we are working with is always creating. It never doesn't create. It creates all the time. Now, it might not create what you want, 
but it's creating all the time, right? Because we talked about this month, we talked about that our thought plus our feeling plus our word plus our actions equal manifestation. We put all those things together, that's what we're creating in the world. So no matter what we're thinking about, what we're talking about, what we're feeling, what we're doing, we are creating something. So there's always a demonstration. There's a demonstration maybe of what you do want or a demonstration of what you don't want. And I'm going to try to read this quote and make it make sense. Ernest wrote this. He says, it really works by appearing to not work. When we believe that it cannot and will not, then according to principle, it does not. But when it does not, it still does. Only it does according to our belief that it will not. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, good, right. Somewhere in our consciousness, we are believing in wrong conditions. Somewhere in our mind, we are believing in wrong conditions. While it is true that wrong conditions exist, they could not remain unless there was someone to experience them. Again, that's Ernest Holmes. You know, I, you, probably, you may have heard this story, but it's a good illustration, I think. You know, the man who's on the roof, and the flood's coming, and he's on the roof, and he's praying to God to save him. Please, God, please, God, save me. The water's rising, right? And a guy comes by in a rowboat. And the guy says, come on, I'll, I'll help you. He says, oh, no, 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 I'm praying to God. Don't worry. I'm, I'm good, right? And so the rowboat pulls away. And then a little bit later, a motorboat comes along, right? And the motorboat says, jump in, jump in, I'll save you. And the man says, no, I'm praying to God. I have faith. I'm going to be saved. So the motorboat pulls away. As the water's rising and rising and rising, a helicopter comes by. And the helicopter says, I'll throw you a rope. Grab on. He says, no, I have faith in God. I will be saved. I don't need you. Right? And the water ends up rising, and the man drowns. When he gets to heaven, he says to God, hey, what happened? I had faith in you, and you didn't show up. And God said, I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a motorboat, and I sent you a helicopter. Right? How often are we not paying attention? Are we not paying attention to the aid, the help, the solutions that show up because they don't show up in the form that we think they should show up in? You know, be awake, be aware. Know what's going on. Pay attention to those little conversations, maybe in the grocery store line. You know, somebody who you haven't seen in a long time that you just happen to bump into, right? Somebody who has a, uh, you, you find a notice for a class that you're just wanting to do that class, right? The book that falls off the shelf and hits you on the head, right? Probably means you're supposed to read it. You know, pay attention. So how do we treat for a demonstration of the truth that we want? And that's really the how to use it. This chapter, is, this section is a wonderful section of the book. We should learn to control our thought processes and bring them into line with reality. And that's reality, Ernest writes with a big R, capital R. Control our thought process. Pay attention to what's moving through your mind. Life's good, life's wonderful. Poor me, poor me. Whatever it is, pay attention. Pay attention. The one who wished scientifically to work out his problem must daily take the time to meditate and mentally treat the condition, no matter what the apparent contradictions may be. Again, our spiritual practice, are we taking time for our spiritual practice? Are we taking time to hang out with Source, 
to align ourselves with source, to fill every cell of our being with that divine inflow. Are we taking that time? I don't know about you, but I notice a big difference if I start my morning with prayer and meditation than when I just run out of the house and I don't do it. It's amazing how things just go so much better when I take time, when I take time for my spiritual practice. Learn how to be more affirmative and positive in our thinking, Ernest urges us. Learn how to be more positive. If you find that you have a tendency to think negatively, pay attention to that. Work on changing it. See a practitioner. Talk with a friend. Find a way to get the negativity out so you can bring some new positive energy in. Look at a fact not in alignment with our desire to see it for the falsehood it is. So when conditions are showing up in your life, when things are showing up in your life, like the struggles my daughter's having, for instance, when those are showing up in her life and then therefore in mom's life, because I'm, you know, mom after all, then, you know, what do I want to know about those conditions? I want to know that they're not the truth. It may look like no money, but it's not the truth. And that's a hard one. You know, that's a hard one, especially as a mom. She grew up as a religious scientist. I teach these principles. I tell her, you live in an abundant universe. And she says, Mom, I've applied for over 500 jobs, and I'm not getting one. Hasn't been 500. It's probably been 200, you know? And I have to stand in that truth and say, but you are the daughter of a loving father of abundance who wants you to have it all. And I know that's the truth. The appearance of this condition that's showing up is not the truth is not the truth. We should be able to look at any wrong condition with the knowledge that we can change it. That's Ernest Holmes. Perfect believing is the beginning and the end of all good mental work. Perfect believing. So that's our job. That's our task, if you will. That's our homework. To stay in that place of perfect believing, of perfect knowing, of absolute belief. To get to that place where Dr. Christian said, I know God. I know God. Ernest writes in How to Use It, he writes this wonderful treatment, and I have copies for you, and I want to end with reading it to you because it's a beautiful example of what he's talking about. I am a center in the divine mind, a point of God-conscious life, truth, and action, my affairs are divinely guided and divinely guarded into right action, into correct results. Everything I do, say, and think is stimulated by the truth. There is power in this word that I speak because it is of the truth and it is the truth. There is a perfect and continuous right action in my life and my affairs. All belief in wrong action is dispelled and made negative. Right action alone has power, and right action is power, and power is God, the living spirit almighty. This spirit animates everything that I do say and think. Ideas come to me daily, and these ideas are divine ideas. They direct me and sustain me without effort. I am continuously directed. I am compelled to do the right thing at the right time, to say the right word at the right time, to follow the right course at all times. All suggestion of age, poverty, limitation, or unhappiness is uprooted from my mind and cannot gain entrance into my thoughts. I am happy, well, and filled with perfect life. I live in the spirit of truth and am conscious that the spirit of truth lives in me. My word is the law unto its own manifestation and will bring to me or cause me to be brought to its fulfillment. There is no unbelief 
no doubt, no uncertainty. I know that I know that I know. Let every thought of doubt vanish from my mind that I may know the truth and the truth may make me free. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. Glad to have you here today. Thank you.